awards season, arguments and discussions arise over which film deserves top prize. These arguments are the entire basis of this podcast, and yet very few of these debates last longer than the year of competition. The ones that do, the infamous snubs and widely acknowledged mistakes, become the go-to examples for when the system seems broken. Your favorite films didn't win Best Picture? Well, neither did Citizen Kane, so what does the Academy know? But in 1991, it had to seem a little personal to a certain director. Ten years before, Martin Scorsese made what would go on to be considered not only one of the best films of the 80s, but perhaps of all time. But he lost Best Picture and Best Director to an actor making his directorial debut. A decade later, enough time to surely see the air of their ways regarding Raging Bull, the Academy ignored Scorsese's Goodfellas in favor of another actor making his directorial debut. Did the Academy need more than the 10 years surmised by this podcast to recognize genius at work? Did Scorsese just have bad luck to be paired against likable actors two decades in a row? Does the Academy just have an aversion to violent stories about unlikable men? Or maybe just the word fuck? Who can say? Luckily, this podcast is here to continue the debate. Welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the podcast where we re-examine best picture races and determine which one actually deserved the prize. I am your host, Devin, and I'm joined by... Kyle. All right, and this year, well, this episode, this is our season finale, so if you haven't listened to the other ones, go do that. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Anywho, we're talking about the 1991 ceremony honoring the best films from 1990, which we were alive for. This is the second episode where we were alive for it. Do you remember much about the 1991 Oscar ceremony? Not much, honestly. Me either. Yeah. I wasn't. I probably couldn't see that far at that point. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what was going on in 1990 since we... We weren't really absorbing much of what was happening in the world as we were infants. No. I had a mom. And a dad. Yeah. Me too. That's about all I remember. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I'll be honest. I don't remember that. I'm just assuming... You probably knew it. played a role in this time. Yeah. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Well, the president was George H.W. Bush... Um, Some ongoing stuff that was going on. We had a Cold War with Russia at the time. Um, which, like, when don't we, I guess, is the thing. <laughs> and also, um, in August of that year, the Gulf War started, which would go on through 91. Which I do remember, my parents have this story. My dad, like, came home from work. My mom was, like, watching me or whatever. And he's like, hey, turn on the TV. We're at war. And she was like, what are you talking about? Anywho, some <laughs> other things that was happening. Uh, in July, the United States entered an early... Uh, recession of the 1990s like i said the gulf war started in august Um, on august 12th sue the best preserved tyrannosaurus rex specimen ever found was discovered near faith south dakota which i included that because Uh one that skeleton of that 
dinosaurs in Chicago at the Field Museum, right? Mm-hmm. And its name is Sue, which is my mom's name, and August 12th is her birthday. Wow, you're just bringing so much of your family into this. Well, I know for sure my mom is going to be listening to this, and she might be our only <laughs> audience member, so oh, I just want to okay. like give a shout out. Hey, Sue. <laughs> and on December 11th um, in 1990, American mob boss John Gotti was arrested, which I thought was interesting because there's a few... A few mobster movies we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. And there were real mobsters in the news. So that's pretty much it. There wasn't like a lot of interesting stuff happening in 1990 is what I've learned. No? Okay. Uh, just a lot of war and, and almost war. Sure. So anyway. But that year in film on March 30th, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was released to massive box Whoa. office success. And at the time, it was the highest grossing independent film in history. I loved it. Do you remember that? Yeah, no. I mean, that was a movie of my childhood, trust me. Yeah. I think my, my what happened was my dad probably loved it. And yeah. And we bought it on VHS or whatever when it came out. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I, that's where I got my, my first uh, curse from Raphael when he yells, damn it, or something like that. Actually, oh, really? you know what? I wish I knew what the exact line was. But then I did it while, like, using my fake golf clubs. <laughs> I, like, mimicked him. And then my parents were like, what? <laughs> And then your parents are like, you can't watch this anymore. Yeah, now you're done. You're cut off. <laughs> That's funny. Um, also, CGI technique was expanded with motion capture for the CGI characters used in Total Recall. Whoa. So early mocap stuff happening. Total Recall was a movie released in 1990? Mm-hmm. Oh, we should have watched it for a supplemental. Do you want to pause this right now and watch it real quick? Let's do it. And All right. Back. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, did you like it as much as uh, I thought you would? Uh, no. What did you think of the character with three boobs, though? That was, was that the motion capture? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then on September 26th, the Motion Picture Association of America replaced its X rating with the new NC-17 rating. Oh, wow. Which is what it currently uses. Yeah, yeah. Because basically the porn industry, like, took over X, and then people thought that X-rated movies sure. meant that it had to be, like, like it, it was more of a pornographic. than it was, yeah. So the highest grossing films of 1990, number 10 was Kindergarten Cop. Another great Schwarzenegger movie from that year. Never seen it. It's uh, not the Tuma. You've heard that though, right? I've heard you say it, but it's I have like, no idea what it means. Oh, it's from Kindergarten <laughs> Co- Cop oh, okay. though. It's a fun movie. Well, number nine was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Number eight was Presumed Innocent. Seven, Die Hard 2. Die Harder? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it is actually. Is it really? <laughs> I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty solid sure that it was. Uh not a good entry to the franchise. Okay. Still better than some though. I don't I've never seen it. I've only seen the like most recent Die Hard movie. They just like realized that like a lot of the famous lines from the first one, well several of the famous lines from the first one I should say were ad libbed by Bruce Willis. So they just kinda uh, like let him go in this movie. Ooh. And it's just it's a lot. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, uh, number six, another sequel, Back to the Future Part Three also not a great addition to that franchise that's fine uh number five was total recall number four dances with wolves wow number three pretty woman number two home alone big year for joe pesci (laughs) and number one was ghost okay so we got two nominated movies in the top 10 yeah it's pretty decent including the winner not bad so let's talk about the actual ceremony. It was hosted by Billy Crystal for the second year in a row. And would his like 
would go on to be what he's hosted it like nine times yeah he's like one Crazy of the most famous hosts yeah sure i think he's a really good host um the theme of this ceremony was 100 years of film to mark the anniversary of the development of the kintoscope kin- and celluloid film cool um kevin costner became the fifth person to earn the best director award for his directorial debut and best supporting actress winner whoopi goldberg became the second african-american woman actress to win an award hetty mcdaniel previously won in the same category for gone with the wind in 19 fucking 40 okay so big gap between yeah, those two bit of a gap about, bit of a gap about there. 50 years or something yeah which is insanity yeah half of the half of the length of cinema yeah to, that's true yeah i mean it's just oh oscar's so white right sure like legit though yeah the fact, I mean, Hattie McDaniel, one of people are like super pissed about it. We'll talk about that in that episode. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying. She couldn't even like go into the award ceremony with everybody else. Really? Because of segregation and stuff. Anyway. Damn. So you can come, but you have to also work. Yeah, they're like, so. you can come in this side door and we'll give you an award, but then you must leave. Yeah. Because we don't want to like hang out with you. That's really fucked up. Yeah, well, the world is fucked up. So let's talk about these movies, shall we? Let's do it. I already forgot which one we said we're going to talk about first. Oh, we are starting with a little movie about waking up. Cool. Godfather Part 3. <laughs> <laughs> so Awakenings, directed by Penny Marshall. We've got a lady director in the house. One of the best. Of course, she wasn't nominated. No. But, you know, that's cool. All right. The victims. This is the synopsis. Yeah, okay. The victims of encephalite. Oh, my God. I can't read. I'm going to start that over. Edit this out. Okay. Okay. Synopsis. The victims of an encephalitis epidemic many years ago have been catatonic ever since, but now a new drug offers the prospect of reviving them. Cool. That's a pretty fair synopsis. It's, you know, it's the crux of the movie for sure. Which is what a synopsis should be. Yeah. All right. So it's based on the Oliver Sacks uh, 1973 memoir of the same title. Um, Dr. Malcolm Sayer is a fictionalized version of Dr. Oliver Sacks who wrote the book and made a documentary film on the effects of L-Dopa on his patients, which is the drug that they used for the the patients. And in this movie, Sayer eventually overcomes his shyness and accepts a date with Eleanor. However, in his 2015 autobiography on the move, Dr. Sex says that uh, like his fictional counterpart, he was very shy when he was younger, but he was also gay. Oh, okay. Which I actually, I included that as an interesting fact because I honestly was like getting the vibe from Robin Williams' performance like that the character was gay. Do you know what I mean? That's really interesting. And I I mean, that was probably intentional. It probably, like, probably he was like, he met him or whatever. Exactly. Was like on he him was really getting into the character. Um, ah, just, you know, it's kind of annoying because if that movie was made today, they would probably, they would, they would easily include that. Right. Um, but. But yeah, 1990. It does feel like a love story kind of, you know, I'm not going to say it's. It feels shoved in there because it really doesn't. Kind of feels organic in the movie, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But still, could have you could have not had it. And uh, yeah, I've got some thoughts about that. I'll get to that. When okay, we'll talk about. I'm it just now. saying it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel shoved in there. I guess no, I mean it, whereas, it, like, it wasn't very overt. Some it obviously movies wasn't be, like yeah. the focus at all of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And um, she's such a. She's not like the pretty blonde. You know, she's not like your typical like Hollywood star. Uh, that he, you know, no, she's Marge Simpson. Yeah, she's like this, and not, not I don't the mean anything by her, but she's just very much like a character you're going along with in the story. And well, it's, also she's, she's a nurse; she's helping him yeah, with everything. Exactly. She's like there through everything. Exactly. It doesn't necessarily feel like oh, these two are gonna fall in love. 
Like no. he really doesn't. And then, this is what they obviously spent a lot of time together and went through. Exactly. Yeah, um, went through very crazy similar circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Um, some other fun facts. When filming the scene where Dr. Sayer and the security guards attempt to restrain Leonard, Robin Williams accidentally hit Robert De Niro in the face with his elbow, breaking De Niro's nose. De Niro later commented that his nose had been broken before in the opposite direction, and this injury actually straightened it back out. Wow. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, Dr. Sayer treats the comatose Leonard with a drug called levodopa or l-dopa this was the same drug used to treat robin williams own parkinson-like symptoms shortly before his death in august 2014 oh, wow. is that interesting like they haven't developed a new well medicine? the drug was originally for parkinson's yeah but they were using it for this other thing so i okay. guess they were still using it for parkinson's when sure sure in 2014 um and this is the best fun fact trivia i've ever found about a movie so far wow. in this podcast. well i'm excited have i heard it yet no so this film was the debut of Vin Diesel. What? He plays one of the orderlies. I looked it up. He has hair, so you cannot recognize him. Like, like I saw him on screen. Yeah, it's um he's only in one scene as super short, but he's like playing cards with like one of the patients after he wakes up or whatever. Shut up. Yeah. You can look it up online. If you like search like Vin Diesel Awakenings, you yeah. can see the picture of him. And then you can recognize him when you know it's him. But like because he's got a full head of hair, it's just like That's wild. Isn't that crazy? No, you're right. That is that was definitely a fun fact. Are you looking it up right now? Yeah. Well, it doesn't need to be pointed out. <laughs> I'll just, the whole audience is also doing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. What did you think of Awakenings? Do you want me to talk about Awakenings while you look up a picture sure. of Vin Diesel? Um, I will say about this movie, like one of all the movies nominated for this year, Awakenings I hadn't even heard of. So I didn't really know what to expect from it. And uh, it's a really great movie. And it's one of these things where I'm like, I'm not completely sure like why people don't talk about this movie more because i think it's really well done i think the performances the performances um from williams excuse me from robin williams and especially from robert de niro are so amazing like i don't i feel like robert de niro and we'll talk obviously in goodfellas but i feel like that kind of role is kind of where he got like pigeonholed for most of his career sure absolutely which he's very good at too. Like he's great and good for, he's great in Godfather part two and like all that kind of stuff. Like he's great playing the tough guy, whatever. So I understand why a lot of his roles are then raging bull and blah, blah, blah. But like watching him in awakenings, it's just like, there was a whole other Avenue that his career could have taken. Cause he's just like genuinely such a great actor that he can do so much. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know. I think it's unfortunate that in one, I think it's unfortunate that he makes shit movies now because he's a very good actor, but like, I also think he could have made like other movies too throughout his career. The intern is a great movie. Yeah. But is it on the same <laughs> level? as like these movies is what I'm saying. No, I'm, just I'm say, not saying he's it's not a fun movie. Though. Like I love meet the parents. Like I think he's very good sure. at meet the parents. Yeah. I have not yet seen dirty grandpa. It may be I mean, great. Be There's not a lot of roles for, you know, older men. You know what I mean? Like, you don't generally, there's not a lot of movies made that feature older roles. Like, there's just not. I guess that's true. Do you know, like, it's just, so, you know, he does what he can. He still wants to work. He still enjoys his job. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Sure, he he sees something, obviously, in every project he becomes a part of. Whether it's probably working with old friends or, you know, familiar faces. It's shooting in, like, the neighborhood of Tribeca. Like, you know, there's probably some convenience. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Some convenience factors that play in, but yeah, bad grandpa's an odd choice for sure. Um, 
but yeah no i would i mean i fully agree with the performances in this movie are are absolutely incredible and i also like you had never really heard i mean i had heard the title mentioned mm-hmm. had no idea who was in it had no idea what it was really about um and was just truly impressed by this movie um i mean we've heard everyone's heard of the other four movies on this list right for sure uh if i had to encourage you know first watch you know this would be up there i just i can't recommend it more enough actually the weekend after we watched it i recommended it to my friends because just like have you guys haven't like have seen this movie before or whatever mm-hmm. just looking for a conversation but they hadn't and it's just is that epidemic like have my grandparents seen this movie you know what i mean like did right. people who were was it on that top 10 list no it wasn't exactly no you know what i mean i wonder how many people actually have made it out to see this movie before um but yeah it's really a film driven by performance and especially yeah. from robert de niro yeah um now that you've recommended it to everyone i'm gonna go ahead and spoil it but um i will say like my one issue with it as a movie like i said to you after i got done and like it's i'm, I'm gonna try not to spoil it too much but it's like devastating in a way well, I mean, this is, it's based on a true story. It's based I don't, on I don't a feel true like story. we should w- really worry about spoiling too much. Okay. So it's based on true. Okay. And maybe if people are prepared, they'll be like, but I don't think I told you when we get done, I said I was not prepared for the third act of that movie. Like I was not yeah. prepared for that. But I think, and at first I was just like upset and it's like devastating and it's like really, it was just really upsetting to me. But I think part of the reason I felt like, you know, I wasn't prepared for that is that I think the movie through the first two thirds of it feels like a very different movie it feels like an uplifting you know we're gonna we saved these people you know what i mean it has that like general vibe of just like this is like an uplifting story about medical innovation and then the the third the final third part happens where none of it works and they're all just regulated back to the what i have to assume is like it sounds like the most hellish existence to be trapped inside your own body to be able to like hear and see and comprehend everything that's happening around yeah. you but unable to communicate with anyone which we're else. finding out for the first time for sure right when right because they hadn't been able to talk to them yeah, before awakened, but like yeah but to know that they all get regulated back to that was just like so deeply upsetting and then the part that i was saying like about the whole love story thing the thing that I didn't like is i felt that like they tried to the f- reason it was shoehorned in there that way was to like try, try to, to have a happy ending yeah but it just felt like don't try to like you just show me some of the most like s- the saddest things I've ever seen and then you're gonna try to be like oh but Robin Williams overbecame his shyness so oh, I do not feel like that is I was like if you're I do not feel a- like you're supposed to walk out of the theater happy about that I know but it just felt like it was like so much trying to be like oh but here's the silver lining but I'm like that silver lining is like nothing compared to that no, fucking no, 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 no. storm cloud that it's in I, like I don't think I just think that was just a little piece you know for some sort of like one little strain of happiness. I don't think it's a silver lining by any means. I'll just walk out and be like, well, at least they got together. I don't think anyone thought that. I mean, no, I don't think anyone thought that because no. it's still devastating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could have told you that this was going to happen in this movie when uh, the cure wasn't introduced at the end. So. Okay. That's you know, fair. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know, but I thought it was just like a little fun like a disney movie yeah i didn't know exactly how it was gonna work out but i didn't think that was gonna happen i could tell you know it was gonna get it was gonna get it was gonna take a turn for sure and i mean there yeah so 
these people, you know, go back to their canatonic state or whatever, but they do have moments of awakenings throughout throughout the rest of life. Not as long term, yeah, not as uh yeah, as fulfilled as what we get to see, but yeah, I mean it's a tragic life. Yeah. It really is. It's a it's a tragedy. But I I what I feel like this movie does so well is it I don't know, it does feel like a document of time in a way. Um it, it's really I'd be really curious to see this documentary that he made, mm-hmm. although it's probably just as tragic. Oh, it's probably even more upsetting to see the actual for, people. to see the actual people for sure. Um I do think it'd be really interesting, but that's what this movie feels like to me is really a document of the time. Actually, wow. Now I think about it. A lot of these movies yeah. are kind of you know, they're obviously a different era. Uh, they're obviously all highlighting a different era in our history via different uh That's true. None means. of these movies are... Well, Ghost, Ghost. is the only Ghost one is the only exception. Ghost yeah. is the only like popular film that made it into this this top five for Best Picture. But um, it really does feel like, you know, something I would have never necessarily researched or look into. Um, but certainly does have, you know an impact and especially now when we're losing you know mental health facilities left and right yeah um to know that some people were there and to do some good and you know even if it was only a brief time these people without the help of this doctor would have never even had that so like that's the silver lining in my book I guess. Is but isn't that crueler in a way too to like give them a glimpse of what their lives could be and then rip it away from them again I mean, yeah, it would have been a better scenario if it's like we don't we know this is not going to last, so enjoy yeah. it while you can. They didn't know that Ugh, though. Um, so I would, you know, I feel like it's this probably sounds really dumb, but you know, the the phrase it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. I feel like that's very much, you know, that could be you know, could be adapted to this situation. At least they got to come back and see their families again you know well, which is probably tragic in its own fucking right I mean, yeah a lot of them their families that just like moved on and yeah or and, like, like whatever else. there's scenes where these people look in the mirror and they're expecting to be you know mm-hmm. 12 years old and now they're 50 you know and i don't know it's a really it's a really powerful movie that i c- i cannot recommend more enough and it, if it sounds like we're spoiling it like we're we aren't necessarily because what we're discussing in this short amount of time doesn't hold up to the movie no, I would By recommend it. I think, too, it might be better to go into it knowing. And, like, maybe at the time people had a better understanding of. Well, yeah, a trailer probably ruined everything. Let's be real. Nah. Which we hadn't seen. We didn't we see didn't the see. trailer. But, um, yeah, I just, I haven't cried that much in a movie in, like, a very long time. <laughs> I was very deeply upset by this movie. But I do think it is a great movie that more I people really, should watch. Really, I, do, I, I do agree. Um, I have a question. Was, was Robert um, De Niro or... Robin Williams nominated for their performances in Awakenings at all? Uh, yeah, Robert De Niro was. Um, doesn't look like Rob. No, Robin Williams wasn't, but Robert De Niro was nominated for Best Actor. Interesting. Lost to Jeremy Irons. In what? In a uh, reversal of fortune. Hmm. Okay, oh, so was he nominated? Was this a double nomination this year, or was he just nominated for Awakenings? Like. I, he was just nominated for a week. So no Goodfellas love? Nope. He didn't get nominated for Goodfellas. Okay. By the way, like, it was one of the best performances I've ever seen from him in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Feels weird to not be recognized. Yeah, it does. It seems weird. Like, this should be, like, an iconic Robert De Niro film, if nothing yeah. else, because his performance is so great. Sure. I mean, perhaps at the time, this movie just flew under the radar. Yeah, that N- could be. 
I will say, speaking of Robert De Niro real quick, so, like, my dad kind of looks like Robert De Niro, <laughs> like, a little bit. But, like, in Awakenings... I thought just your dad thought that, but... No, okay. like, I have to... Maybe on our Instagram, mm-hmm. I'll, like, throw up a picture, but, like, the kid that played, like, young Robert De Niro in this movie, like, when the movie first oh, started, yeah, yeah. I was like, that looks exactly like my dad when he was a kid. Okay. And then, like, because he's got kind of, like, that 50s, like, haircut through all this, he just, like, looks like when my dad was... Sure. I kid. No, I see it. I see it. But anyway, so that was like weird for me too. But okay, I just wanted to throw that in there because my dad is the, so is much, the second person. So much personal to connection to your family in this episode. We haven't even gotten to the fucking Italians yet. No, I feel like you're not trying to do more seasons of the show. You're just trying to get all the shout outs in here. Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, see the finale you know, now. Yeah, you know our two supporters need to be recognized. You know we're in charge if we come back for a season two. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, do you have anything else to say about Awakenings? No. Uh, Penny Marshall, I think, did a fantastic job. I think pretty yeah, much I everything like I've Penny seen Marshall her director, do is honestly. just, yeah, yeah. Is, is really just touching and, I don't know, comes from a very mm-hmm. warm, familial place. I like it. I like her brother, actually. Yeah. Anyway, so um, Rotten Tomato audience score is 89% and a critic score of 88%. It's like a solid B plus from everyone all around. Okay. Has never really been named to any lists of note so weird to me i know i um, mean at the box office it made 52.1 million dollars like i wonder if like because there are so many like almost light-hearted like more light-hearted moments if this just like if this would have been more dramatic or something if it would have got more attention like i don't know yeah because the dramatic elements are dramatic but it also just it doesn't feel like that type of movie it's yeah. not some kind of expose on our mental you know health it doesn't have the vibe of like uh oscar bait movie yeah it doesn't it really even doesn't. though it is because robert jr deserved a fucking oscar yeah uh i'm sorry we just watched goodfellas and i feel like i'm swearing too much you are swearing a lot i'm sorry i'll stop what are we talking about i forgot what order you said we were going in awakening is what we're talking about i know but now we're going to the next movie. oh we're going to the next movie um another oh well i guess he's not in this one never mind godfather godfather part tray don't say it like that tray nope. that's italian is it? Mm-hmm. Is it was, how about Godfather and Part? Were those in Italian Il Padrino at all? Parte Tre. Whoa! Now we're talking. I'm impressed. Thanks. <laughs> Devin uh, claims to be Italian. I am 50% Sicilian, <laughs> so I know a lot about these movies. Yeah. Could you ever be made? No. No, because my last name's not Italian and I'm not a man. Oh, yeah. That's true. So according to the new rules of, <laughs> of mafias. Which we had to look up. They've Which adapted. is available on the internet. It's sure. <laughs> you know what? That might that might have been made up in its own right. That's true. Someone else was like, you know what? This is what I think they do now. Yeah, some some white guy from non-Italian. Well, they had to lighten up just because, like, as the generations keep coming to America, you're going to get less and less 100% Italian people. That's true. But then you should still, I mean, does the maid group have to be that big? Like, let's just keep it the Sicilian. You know what I mean? I mean, everybody's trying to get made. Do the five families in New York still run everything? Like, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I I would imagine not. Maybe they're all legitimate now. Legitimate. And speaking of, that's supposed to be a segue. Oh. Well, it is still a segue because they weren't legitimate either. Well, they were. He was trying his damn best, Devin. But every time he thinks he's out, they pull him back in. Yep. All right. All right, Godfather Part 3 by Francis Ford Coppola. Everyone's least favorite Godfather movie. <laughs> That's their tagline. Yeah. <laughs> Three in every respect. 
Uh, the synopsis, in the midst of trying to legitimize his business dealings in New York City and Italy in 1979, aging mafia Don Michael Corleone seeks to avow for his sins while taking his nephew, Vincent Mancini, under his wing. I got a question. So yeah. some people say Corleone, mm-hmm. some people say Corleone, and I'm talking about characters in the movie. Yeah. What's the difference? Probably if they're pronouncing it correctly or not. Why doesn't he correct them? He's fucking... You know what I mean? That's true. How I, think he, he, I think it's supposed to be Corleone, though, right? I th- I, yeah. So it's like, all right, if you're Italian, do you say Corleone? Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're American, just you say straight Corleone. up American, yeah, Corleone. I guess. I don't know. I was, I was just curious. I figured it wasn't a mistake. No, it was that's just true. how certain yeah, people address him. All right. Anyway, sorry. No, you're fine. I'm gonna just move this closer to me. I noticed you say Corleone, and you're only like fifty percent. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty more percent than you are. <laughs> hey, that's fine. Uh, so Coppola and Puzo, Mario Puzo, who wrote the books, and also helped, they uh, wrote the script together as well. Uh, they preferred the title. Really, he had help. Who? F- for Coppola. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, him and Mario Puzo wrote the script together, hmm. based on a book by Mario Puzo. Oh, okay. Or a short story by him in this case, but um. They preferred the title, The Death of Michael Corleone, but Paramount Pictures found that unacceptable. Coppola stated that the Godfather series is two films and that the Godfather Part 3 is an epilogue. In fact, Coppola felt that the first two films had told the complete Corleone saga. In his audio commentary for Part 2, he stated that only a dire financial situation caused by the failure of One from the Heart in 1982 compelled him to take up Paramount's longstanding offer to make a third installment. Okay. So we have a part three because of money. Because of money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, parts of the film are very loosely based on real historical events concerning the ending of the papacy, papacy of Pope Paul the... I'm going to start that over. The papacy. Okay. Parts of the film are very loosely based on real historical events concerning the ending of the papacy of Pope Paul the Sixth the very short tenure of John Paul I in 1978, and the collapse of the Banco Ambrosiano in 1982. So like the character of Cardinal Lombardo, who becomes John Paul I, the historical John Paul I, um, Albino Lucini, reigned for only a short amount of time before being found dead in his bed. So all that mm. stuff is like based on real events that That's were happening really in the Vatican. Yeah. And That's cool. Mm-hmm. This is the only film in the series not to have Al Pacino nominated for an Academy Award. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for The Godfather and Best Actor for Part 2. And is the only film of the trilogy to not win for Best Picture or any other Academy Award for that matter. (laughs) As well as the only film in the trilogy not selected for preservation by the United States National Film Registry. Damn, even America was just like, come on guys. Yeah. Along with The Lord of the Rings, though, the Godfather trilogy shares the distinction that all of its installments were nominated for Best Picture. Oh, okay. Sounds cool. It's got that. Yeah. What did you think of The Godfather Part 3? I thought it was fine. It's probably my second favorite. No, I'm just kidding. It's my it's my, it's my <laughs> least favorite Godfather movie, but sure. that's not like, you know. The other two, I think, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's outlook on those two being like a combined story, you know, it's very hard to fit that with those two do you know what i mean um it, although it is a continuation of michael's story and very much an epilogue of sorts uh it just doesn't have what the other two had i guess i really enjoyed um the whole idea of kind of giving going away from the casinos um and the protection elements 
and really trying to make legitimate business and really help out not only Italian Americans, but, you know, the poor through the Catholic charities in this movie, trying to, you know, all this legitimacy they're trying to do, give back, you know, and try to help people out. It's really, you know, it's an interesting kind of conundrum in, in, in old age, you know, you're trying to make up for the your past sins mm-hmm. uh, very much so. Um, and I really do love that story, and I love that they go back to Sicily, and I do love that it's tied in with this, with the Vatican and, and the Catholic faith uh, in general. I feel like it's a very big idea that is handled relatively well. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't feel like they overshot, really, in my opinion. Um, it does feel organic. But there's just the magic. The magic is just not there. And Robert Duvall, you know, not coming back and being included, I think, hurts it in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so does Francis Ford Coppola. Agrees he, with that. Oh, he agrees with that? Yeah. yeah, you know, I just don't see... I feel like Coppola, since, you know, some of those 70s works, really stopped being a good director and maybe that's like wrong to some people um maybe with like the exception of like rumblefish or some stuff like that but i really feel like after the godfather movie and apocalypse now he has just not achieved what a lot of people put their faith in with him like he was really you know he could share the same breath as some of his, as some of the greats back then mm-hmm. today you know, the only time I ever hear Francis Ford Coppola's name is in regards to his wine um, or, it's you know, wine. or something like that. Like he's still making movies and he's experimenting, which I think he's always been known for. But mm-hmm. I really do feel like he became he started making lesser works. And I feel this very much falls into that category. Uh, I just don't see the passion. I don't see the planning. It does feel like not only was this a money grab, but it was done quickly. Um, yeah. I, you know it just doesn't feel right. And if you're a fan, obviously of the Godfather movies, I think that's why this is everybody's least favorite. Now, having said that I went into this movie years ago, knowing my, you know, through pop culture or whatever family, um, that they, you know, they hated it there. They, they didn't think it was very good at all. And I don't think that I I do think it's actually a very decent movie. Like I do, you know, I'm with it. I Mm -hmm. am with it. But when you do the comparison, when you look at this as a trilogy, yeah, you know, it just, yeah. it, it, it is, it is a lesser work by Francis Ford Coppola and, and all involved in many ways. Although I do think Pacino is very fine in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the cast is actually really yeah, good. Yeah. I think, I think Andy Garcia is really good. I think Diane, usually I can't stand Diane Keaton, but I think her role in the godfather movies is yeah she got really like her in you know their characters just do feel uh like a continuation which is really great you know Mm -hmm. what i mean it didn't feel they still share the same i don't know obviously characteristics and mannerisms but like it just feels like their story this is a continuation you know Mm -hmm. so many years later it's just well kind of too i guess um al pacino and diane keaton dated for a while after the first movie for like a while and then broke up and this was like the first time they'd seen each other since then so there was kind of oh, like so that, like that's awkward. wow that's like a mirror of yeah. the characters in the film that's really interesting but then i guess they like um his al pacino's mom i think died during the film of it and she like went back home with him to go to the funeral and stuff and that's kind of how they like reconnected and like oh that's wonderful became friends again yeah that's really that's a really touching story mm-hmm. um so my feelings about godfather part three i'd never seen it before i'd seen the first two but then everyone talked about how bad the third one was so i was like 
why i don't even see it because you know the first two are a complete story really so this is the first time i saw it um and yeah i really think people have built up too much about how bad of a movie this is because it's not a bad movie it's not nearly as good as the first two like that's i feel like we don't even need to keep saying that because like clearly but like i don't think it's a bad movie by any means i do i do kind of agree with what you're saying about coppola as a director because i felt like so like the first portion of this movie takes place in new york and it all just felt very like it didn't feel artistic in any way, but then it really felt like once they got to Sicily, I did see some of those aspects coming back. I thought it like just looked a lot better once they got to Sicily. I thought there were more interesting shots, like compositions and that kind sure. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's just maybe he just felt more inspired being in Sicily because it's a could be yeah more beautiful yeah, yeah. location. But um, I did feel that, and I also felt like you know um the the kind of like ending part where it's they're trying to kill michael and it's set against the his son performing in the opera it just felt like such a callback to like the scene in the first one with the baptism and the yeah and the assassinations but this felt like such a lesser version of that because it it, like reminds you of something when you're like oh that was great that was so much better yeah yeah yeah, so that kind of was like oh this isn't as good as that for many people this whole movie is probably a reminder of that you know what i mean yeah no for sure um so yeah, that's how I feel. I also feel like you know people make a big deal about how bad Sofia Coppola is as an actress. She's not a great actress, that's for sure. Um, but I don't think she by any means should be held responsible for ruining this movie the way a lot of people sure. kind of lay at her feet. Like I don't think one, she's not really in that much of this movie. No, yeah. So it's not like, and two, like no, she's not a good actress, but she's also surrounded by like very very good actors. Yeah. Which I think tends to make it look even more off balance. Yeah. I mean, honestly, she was probably poorly directed. Yeah. Like, if I can be fair. And she became one hell of a good director herself. Yeah. So it's like, it is almost weird to look at this actress and be like, well, damn, I love all your movies that you made. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I'm gonna, maybe I'm just going to give you, like, the benefit of the doubt on this one. Yeah. When she was, so, she was, what, like, 18 or 19 when she made this? I mean, she was young. Was she young? Yeah. That's really young to be yeah. acting opposite Al Pacino. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. But no, I didn't hate it. I thought it was good. It was uh, a little long. Felt a little long. Yeah, um, certainly. Felt the length a little bit in this mm-hmm. movie. But uh, just because there is a lot going on too, though. There is a lot going on. A lot of it is the plot is a little convoluted. Like it takes. Not everything made a lot of sense to me, so I was like, okay. okay. Like I guess I follow what's happening in broad strokes, but like, yeah. You don't ask me to explain the like my new details of what this plot was ha- like. Sure. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the most interesting stuff to me is actually the Andy Garcia, um, you know, coming up. Oh, can we talk about how a central plotline of this is incest? Can we talk about that real quick? Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird choice. It's so weird to me that the whole like love story aspect is between two first cousins is that a sicilian thing devon or no not any sicilian tradition i've heard of <laughs> and like that's not because like at one point at first they're all like you guys can't no, be yeah. together because it's dangerous and then al pacino's like your first cousins <laughs> i kept whenever he said dangerous i just kept thinking like yeah for like a baby <laughs> yeah yeah for like the gene pool like i just it's not a great idea guys yeah oh weird yeah but i still i mean you know <laughs> If you want to learn more about the Corleone family, you know, watch it. And, I, you know, I think part of the reason two people maybe felt angry about it is, like, uh, part two came what came out in, like, 74. Four. And this came out in 1990. That is such a huge gap where the Godfather yeah. has been, like, 
elevated to this um pedestal that everyone just adores this movie and then you're like oh my god there's another one coming out this is gonna be amazing and i can't wait and then you go see godfather part three and you're like well that's not the same thing yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) you know what i mean you're obviously gonna be disappointed because there's a lot of buildup associated with absolutely i mean honestly more i feel like more time could have gone into a story than that uh even though like i don't hate this one but it could have been a far better film. Like it really could have. They should have. It, just... It's honestly, I think it's kind of cool to catch back up with this family. I do. I yeah. think it is kind of a cool thing. But surely, more time—if it wasn't such a money grab—more time could have been spent on it. Mm-hmm. And maybe they could have given Robert Duvall the money he wanted, and then he could have been in the movie I, too. I mean, that would have been nice. Clearly, yeah. they were going to make it back, so I don't. I don't. Yeah, it seems I really weird to me that, that they like drew a line that they weren't going to pay him. Yeah. Appropriately, but. Because the original, the way I read it online is that the original script, he played a heavy, a big part to the point where he would be considered the second lead. Yeah. But um, Al Pacino was making $5 million and they were only going to pay him $1 million And he was like, well, that yeah, doesn't make that's sense. That's disrespectful. That is disrespectful. It's, it's, I don't blame him at all. And they were like, well, we're not going to pay us. And then they cast who they, uh, George Hamilton as like the Robert Duvall type oh, character. Oh, my God. Who's funny? I mean, you know. I mean, there's no Robert Duvall. No. But also the part obviously is a lot smaller too, because yeah, 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 he doesn't do much. But um, his son, it's kind of cool that his son's in it though, and his son went to the faith and was like, I like, I like the line oh, yeah. where he says, "Oh, he know he's actually true," because it's like, "Let me know if what you hear," you know, Hamilton's yeah. character says, "Let me know if you don't you hear anything," and uh, uh, Michael Corleone just immediately shuts that down. Is like, "No, he's true to the faith." Yeah, no, he actually believes in God. This is real. <laughs> <laughs> I like that though because it's another thing showing his legitimacy. Like, I feel like he's past redemption, and he knows he's past redemption. Who, Michael? Yeah. Okay. But she's trying to do everything he can. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, to at least protect a legacy for his family. Um, but yeah, so like, I love that he is at least backing other people. You know, in positive ways. Not for he doesn't want anybody to like keep doing the dealings that we've we've witnessed in the other two films mm-hmm. he wants people to be better and you know what i mean like even with again i love the arc of uh of andy garcia's character mancini vincent mancini he doesn't want him to be a thug in fact mm-hmm. he he spends a lot of time encouraging him not to, to go a different way but when he realizes <laughs> you know what i'm not gonna get anywhere with this guy no he was born to be a mafia yeah don. <laughs> um andy garcia is so good too he really is. He's he's quite wonderful in this movie. Mm-hmm. He's good. I mean, I can't. We looked through his IMDb, and there's a lot of Andy Garcia movies that I have not seen for or heard of. Yeah, like but honestly, like- <laughs> every movie from this movie in 1990 to Ocean's Eleven in 2000 in 2001, I had not heard of. Yeah, but like so, everything I've seen him in, he's so good. Yeah. At- well, what is it? The Ocean's movie in this one. And the Untouchables. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, and the Untouchables. Yeah, Untouchables. yeah. You keep talking about the Untouchables. <laughs> I have not yet seen that one, so I'm sure we'll get to it. Yes, I will force you to watch it at some point, yeah. regardless of this podcast even. <laughs> um, so, The Godfather Part 3, Rotten Tomato audience score of 78%. Not terrible, considering yeah. how much people talk about it. No. Critic score is 67%. Whoa. Seems rude. Seems disrespectful, but... <laughs> no, you know. Um, has never been named to any sort of notable list of any kind. Sure. Unless there's like a list of like the worst three movies, the worst. or the best, th- maybe the best part three. Best, tr- maybe if there's just like best trilogies in general. Sure, sure. And like this and. Sure. Okay. Um, in the box office, it made, uh, hundred thirty-six point eight million. 
Wow. Okay. So it could have paid Robert Vall. Basically. Yeah. Well, yeah that's all we're definitely enough you to give Robert like throw him some. It'll be fine. Couple million bucks. Yeah. At least. But you know, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? No. You know what we're gonna do? What are we gonna do? We're gonna talk about Ghost. Right after I pee. Oh. All right, Ghost. Synopsis. After a young man is murdered, his spirit stays behind to warn his lover of impending danger with the help of a reluctant psychic. <laughs> that is the plot of Ghost. Wow. I would, I feel not, like I I, would not see that movie based on that plot. No? No. That does not sound interesting. Well, that's what the plot is. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so some fun facts about Ghost. Uh, the horrific sounds made by the dark shadows, yeah, like take bad people, yeah, yeah. are really the sounds of babies' cries played at extremely slow speed backwards. Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Isn't that funny? Yeah. And these are the the black ghost creatures that take the bad people yeah. to what is assumed hell. Yes. Okay. Uh, the role of Molly Jensen was given to Demi Moore largely in part because Moore could cry out of either eye on cue. Think you mean she can choose which eye? Yeah. You'd be like, I just want a single tear out of your right eye, and she could do it. Shut the fuck up. Or they'd be like, in this phone, they were clearly like, please do both eyes at the same time. And she was like, sure. And just like two perfect teardrops just Dang, fall out of both her eyes. talent. Yeah. It's amazing. I included that just because I was very impressed with this whole movie about her crying ability. She, oh my God, I feel for her every time. I know. She's I, know so I don't want to see her cry. I know, but so she, sad, she cries a lot in this movie. I know, no. She, and deservedly so. She lost well, her uh, fiance. Yeah, and then Tony Goldwyn's taking off his shirt and being a creep to her. So. Yeah, Tony Goldwyn. <laughs> uh, the success of this film, along with the same year's Pretty Woman, is credited with making romantic films more viable at the box office. Oh. Which is interesting, because I think that they're still pretty viable. Yeah, oh yeah. So if they started a trend, it worked. Yeah. Which is kind of like, Pretty Woman and Ghost, I feel like, are two like, quintessential like love stories the fact that they came out and like i mean i have problems with both those movies but like in the general pop culture sense sure they're considered classics of that genre yeah yeah yeah. so it's interesting they came out the same year that is really interesting for sure now here's a little fun fact to to go towards the the lasting cultural impact of this movie so starting in the early 1990s shortly after the release of ghost hip-hop lyrics often included patrick swayze's name or the phrase i'm swayze as a reference or replacement for the earlier slang of i'm ghost meaning i'm leaving slash out of here slash gone the notorious big was one artist who was especially fond of including this phrase in his songs swayze's appearance in the video for ja rule's murder reigns was also a reference to the movie and his own interesting place in hip-hop culture wow you know what? You just said earlier you read the most interesting piece of movie <laughs> trivia. I think you must have been referring to this. <laughs> Holy shit. So, yeah. So, apparently, like, I was just talking about Patrick Swayze in, in 90s rap. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, and Ghost was the highest grossing year of movie of this year. So. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. You know, sure. Huge effect on pop culture. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Ghost. Um sorry i know i just said um but <laughs> i first saw this movie when i was probably like a preteen girl and i <laughs> thank you for specifying <laughs> and i i remember like i loved it i was like it's beautiful and i love I, I mean i loved patrick swayze when i was a 
preteen girl, as I think most Stop preteen girls Stop. do. Stop. And some preteen, preteen boys. Sure, that's right. The love of Patrick Swayze knows no gender. Um, but I was a huge fan of this movie, and I have not seen it since. I've just seen like clips or whatever. Rewatching it now, oh, this is not a very good movie. I was like really in- upset about how it did not live up to my memory of this movie. Well, one, I remember being a full comedy. Like I, when I was standing around, she was like, oh, it's going to be a fun thing. And really the only funny parts are the parts where B. Goldberg is in, oh, which yeah. are very funny. And she's fantastic. Hilarious. She's, she's perfect. In this she's perfect. But like everything else is so melodramatic and over the top. Um, Patrick Swayze, I don't know if it's just the direction that he got in this film. Um, by Jerry Zucker. I don't know if I said who directed it, but um, he just doesn't give a very good performance, in my opinion, in this movie. And I don't know if it's just that he's a bad actor, and I don't know. I need to go rewatch like all Patrick Swayze movies. No, we just watched Dirty Dancing not too long ago. Yeah, he's good at Dirty fun. Dancing. He's very right? good. He's, I, I like him in Roadhouse. I've never seen that. He's fine in The Outsiders. Another, Ooh, the Outsiders. another lesser work of Mr. Francis Ford Coppola. You know what? We, we should, to really judge it, we should um, watch both seasons of North and South. It's just like a quick 24 hours of the <laughs> miniseries. And we could then really determine how good he is. That sounds terrible. I love North and South. But now That's I feel fine. Like I need you were to also go... a, what, a preteen girl I at this was. point? I know. I feel like I, I'm scared to rewatch it because I feel like it's not going to be good. No, maybe it's not. But I loved it so much. It's fine. You and you have that memory, and I cherish it. Cherish it, Devin. I know. Okay, but moving on. <sighs> moving to on. To ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's just I feel like it only got nominated because it was such a huge movie, such a popular movie. You know, it's like a bid to maybe just get more viewers for the telecast of the Oscars, or just because they were trying to appeal. You know, look, we're in touch with what people like we nominated yeah, the most popular yeah. movie of the year and here's billy crystal yeah so that's the only explanation i can come up with this movie being nominated i don't think it is of a caliber to be nominated for best picture no in any year no. so no that's what i should say about it no this is the <laughs> movie this is the movie that the academy awards would wouldn't even remotely consider today you no. know it's just it's It'd be like if uh, it's, it's okay. A Walk to Remember got nominated for. Sure, it's a great cable movie. Yeah, it's a movie you, you comes on TNT and you watch it, and you're like, "That was fun." Well, yeah, not really because well, it's really no. sad. It's not fun, but like, no, no, no. it's a movie you'd be like, "Wow, this doesn't really hold up." But uh, but Whoopi Goldberg's funny. Yeah, she is. She's hilarious no matter what. Honestly, I I don't feel like spending too much time on this movie. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. Again, it's got some fun parts. Uh, yeah, it's slosh. I don't know what to tell you. Like, whatever. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg is no, very good, though. And no offense. You know, if Ghost is a classic to you, uh, probably rewatch it. But no. Uh, <laughs> it's just not a, you know, all right, you know, obviously, it just kind of doesn't fit really into what we're doing with this podcast. We're trying to talk about important movies to cinema and what's you know what really holds up neither of which are true for this movie so the only important piece of cinema history i think that this movie contributes is that whoopi goldberg became the second yeah black yeah. actress to win an oscar and great for her i think it you know it could have happened after too and could it should have happened a hell of a lot sooner sure. is when it should have happened sure but yeah here we go
Because it was another what? Like when did Halle Berry win? Like she was in on the Star Trek. She was on Star Trek at this time too. I want to say. Yeah. And she stayed with the show, even after winning an Academy Award. Well, she's a she real. She yeah. keeps it real. When did um, Halle Berry win though? In like the two thousands. Yeah, two thousand. It would have been the year probably two thousand four. Right? So it took another over ten years for a black actress to win for best actress. Again, let's not blame the awards. Let's blame Hollywood. It's not the awards' fault. It's Hollywood's fault for making for, for not, not making, making movies caliber movies people. starring yeah African American people like it's just yeah it's a systemic issue like you know everybody knows about it. everybody's got their opinion on it mm-hmm. it is a shame it literally is a shame I will say at least Whoopi Goldberg and Halle Berry weren't playing slaves D- you know what like that Hattie is McDaniel actually was. <laughs> like who Hattie McDaniel who won the first one oh plays really a slave and gone with the wind okay no you know what that is a very like honestly accurate thing like it is a shame that like roots you know one of the most famous emmy series you know miniseries of all time of miniseries of all time yeah it's about slavery like it's, it's like the only time black people got recognized for mm-hmm. a while you know what I mean? it's just well even like most the most recent probably black, black actress who won was lupita nyong'o for 12 playing a slave. slave yeah <laughs> yeah we t- they the community can do more things yeah which i think they have um done better this year. yeah for sure the movies with black people that are being talked about for for awards consideration do not have slavery in them yeah yeah so. you know i was just thinking about like moonlight as being such a good example but like he yeah. becomes a drug dealer <laughs> it's like come on guys yeah i think that's still a good example though because it is a very different kind of black story that we no, seen. no very much so i think i think we can all agree mm-hmm. Moon, you know moonlight doesn't moonlight will be talked about 10 years from now absolutely there's not really much of a debate on that, that no is, that's a gorgeous film and a great yeah. film that is only going to inspire and, you know, mm-hmm. more great films from uh, black filmmakers and actors alike. Yes. So now that we spent all of our time t- about Ghost talking about Moonlight, let's talk about Ghost a little bit more before we move on. Oh. So it's got a Rotten Tomato audience score of 80% and a critic score of 74%. So sure. Yeah. Um. As far as lists go on American Film Institute's list of the 100 greatest love stories, it was ranked at number 19. And on their list of the 100 greatest songs in movies, Unchained Melody was ranked at number 27. The song is sick, though. That's a great song. It is an iconic scene. Yeah. That happens like five minutes into like, the movie. <laughs> I will say, though, that scene is like that scene is great. Yeah. I'll give them that. It's mm-hmm. really great. It's fantastic, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, at the box office, like I said, it was the number one movie of the year. It made $505.7 million. Wow. Adjusted for inflation, it is currently the 98th highest grossing film of all time. Wow. So Breaking that top 100. Yeah. Probably not after, obviously, Star Wars this weekend and, uh, you know, Infinity War. It's gone. It's gone in like a matter of months, let's be honest. Well, you know what? You got to adjust it for inflation. I, I am adjusting. Force Awakens still is the number one but i'm saying it probably booted it up on that list like that li- yeah. it's probably gone like when was that list updated well the last time i, oh, I checked it like two weeks ago so okay who knows okay so yeah is that enough about ghosts or do you have any other little tidbits i think we should probably just break it down scene by scene to really get to the to the heart of where the movie went wrong so in the first no. <laughs> god <laughs> now we're gonna talk about the movie I have been dying to talk about since we started this podcast. What's that? Dance. No, I'm kidding. Goodfellas by Morton. I can't. By talk. Morton. By Morton. By Scorsese. Mor- 
synopsis it is the story of henry hill and his life in the mob covering his relationship with his wife karen hill and his mob partners jimmy conway and tommy devito in the italian american crime syndicate okay that's pretty straightforward imdb is on top of it with these Mm -hmm. synopsi this this week all right so it's an adaptation of the 1986 nonfiction book wise guy by nicholas pelleggi who co-wrote the screenplay with scorsese um i don't need to talk about that but it tells the true story of henry hill which like i said i guess it has a synopsis that it's a true story okay edit all this out okay what what are you doing i don't know what's what's the problem i messed up what did you mess up i don't know i said it weird all right start over it's an adaptation of the 1986 nonfiction book wise guy by nicholas pelleggi who co-wrote the screenplay with martin scorsese according to scorsese he wanted quote lots of movement and wanted it to be throughout the whole picture and i wanted the style to kind of break down by the end so that henry's last day as a wise guy is as if the whole picture would be out of control give the impression he's just going to spin off the edges and fly out i thought that was a quote that's why okay there's a lot of like camera movement yeah and then the final sequence is super quick cuts of everything okay which i was reading like i guess um and one of the they had like practice screenings what do they call those just like test screenings test screenings thank Jeez. you and people were like they didn't go well but like a lot of people that stayed through the end were like really like oh i felt off put by that final sequence of his last day and martin Scorsese was like yeah that's the point so he had thelma schoemaker the editor go and like edit it to make it even more frantic okay so with the test screenings didn't go well for goodfellas no people like were walking out within like the first 10 minutes damn yeah what like did they change much after? No, or? they didn't change anything besides make it more of what they didn't like. <laughs> wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. According to Joe Pesci, improvisation and ad-libbing came out of rehearsals where Scorsese let the actors do whatever they wanted. He then made transcripts of these sessions and took the lines that the actors had come up with that he liked best and put them into a revised script that the cast worked from during principal photography. Oh, so they didn't exactly just ad-lib all the time yeah, on I think camera? they rehearsed a lot and then took that. That's interesting. Then... That makes more sense. Yeah. For how great some of these scenes came out. Because I'm not saying they're, probably, they're not probably bad ad- ad-libbers, but... Some of the stuff does not feel like ad-libbed at all. Yeah. Know? A lot of the stuff, rather. Um, here's another quote that I liked. So Scorsese discussed the ending of the film with movie critic Mark Cousins in an interview, and he said, um, in, re- in relation to the final shot with Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci shooting at the screen, he said, well, that's a reference right to the end of The Great Train Robbery. That's the way that ends that film. And basically, the plot of this picture is very similar to The Great Train Robbery. It hasn't changed 90 years later. It's the same story. The gunshots will always be there. He's always going to look behind his back. He's got to have eyes behind his back because they're going to get him someday. End quote. The director ended the film with Henry regretting that he's no longer a wise guy, about which Scorsese said, quote, I think that the audience should get angry at him, and I would hope they do, and maybe with the system which allows this. End quote. So why is he scared of Joe Pesci? Like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, so now there's some explanation to the, the reference from Great Train Robbery. Sure. But Joe Pesci is a dead character at this point. Yeah. What What is, you know, so harmful about that? Like, if anything, I would use Jimmy. I would use Robert De Niro's character. Well, but they're he, they're in prison, so maybe it's just like the idea that like Joe Pesci like was killed by these same people, so it's like that fate is coming for him. Okay. In a way. I don't know. Very jarring to me, honestly. It is kind of weird, yeah. 
and I just feel like the actually the whole like the last frames of the movie, like the last sequence, is just really like, oh, we're done. Like, mm-hmm. didn't feel. I don't know. It yeah. felt like it was a revised ending, or it was. Well, it's, I think it's always hard to end a story based on a real person's life when that person is still alive. Sure. And their life hasn't ended yet. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, while we're talking about the end, real quick, uh, like, uh, is it just me or, you know, when we get this, we're obviously getting this narration. It's one of the best things about this movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. We're getting the narration from Harry Hill, Henry Hill, Henry, Henry Hill's character. Um, and then it breaks that and goes to like him actually addressing the camera. Yeah, that was weird. Right. It's like not in a good way. Like, cause the dialogue is, sounds completely different. One sounds like he's recording it in a booth and the other one is obviously coming from on set. Mm-hmm. And I just, that felt so awkward. So it just began this series of just like kind of an awkward ending. Like, I don't know if we just had like it, a bad version of it. If there's like a remastered version that would maybe sound better between like sound wise between sure. those two things. But I think the idea is that this narration has been his testimony. Yeah. You know? No, no, no. And I get that. No, no, no. And I, I fully understand that. It's just like that jump that like, you know, if audio is not good, it's the first thing that takes someone out of a movie. It's the yeah. first thing people notice. Mm-hmm. So it's just, oh, it just started this like series of, I don't know. Yeah. Unmasterful filmmaking comparative to the rest of the movie, I guess. Sure. I don't know. But I, I mean, I understand the idea. And I, I thought, it was, you know, obviously it was a very cool approach. Just didn't think it was as successful as like I would have expected it to be, I guess. Yeah. No, that's fair. But again, it's not something I remembered from like the first three, five times I watched this movie or whatever. You no, know, it's yeah. not like just rewatching it again last night mm-hmm. kind of stuck with me. But no, you're done. But yeah, good fellas. Well, oh, were you not done reading more facts? I have one more I'm sorry. Thing. It's not really fact. This is just another another ending thing to talk about the lasting impact oh, okay, of Goodfellas cool. on yeah, yeah. culture. So Goodfellas inspired director David Chase to make the HBO television series The Sopranos. Chase said, quote, Goodfellas is the Koran for me, end quote. He also told Peter Peter Bogdanovich, quote, Goodfellas is a very important movie to me, and Goodfellas really plowed that. I found that movie very funny and brutal, and it felt very real. And yet that was the first mob movie that Scorsese ever dealt with a mob crew, as opposed to, say, The Godfather. Which there's something operatic about it, classical, even the clothing in the cars. You know what I mean? I always think about Goodfellas when they go to their mother's house that night when they're eating, you know, when she brings out her painting stuff. That stuff is great. I mean, the Sopranos learned a lot from that, end quote. And indeed, the film shares a total of 27 actors with the Sopranos. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't mean, obviously, a lot of faces came up that you, you knew from later work, but. Yeah, I mean, like, probably most notably Lorraine Baracco. <laughs> oh, sure. Or, I mean. Uh, Michael Imperial. The with, yeah. Oh. Vincent, yeah. Um, yeah. But that's kind of a rambling quote. Um, but I just think that Yeah, like, I wish that quote you would have found would have been more paraphrased, but It is paraphrased. There's a lot of oh, things there... taken out of that. Oh, anyway. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but um I just think that like Goodfellas if Goodfellas inspired the Sopranos was just largely considered one of the greatest television series of all time. Like that's a pretty outstanding mark to have left sure so. does scorsese ever direct any episode of the sopranos i don't know i don't know hmm. i don't know either i know a lot of people have touched it i don't, I don't remember, like steve buscemi did a lot of episodes oh, really? i think it's like yeah which i think is kind of interesting um that is interesting but anyways enough about the sopranos we're talking about goodfellas yeah go ahead i love goodfellas um as i've talked about in the first episode of this season martin scorsese is one of my favorite directors Goodfellas is one of my favorites of his films. 
Um, and it's a great movie. Great perform again. Great performances. Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco, everyone across the board. Yeah, great really, the cast is incredible. I think it's well written. Well, I don't know about well written if they like improvised a lot of it, but I think no, that it's it, still well written. Yeah, it's like. I like the way it's told. I like the way that it covers their whole life, like going back and forth and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, it's edited masterfully because Thomas Schoonmaker is one of the greatest editors. She is like literally the best. She is great. I love her. I know. And um, it's just great. I do think like I like it. It's kind of like a the other side of something like The Godfather because I think The Godfather is a mob movie, which, you know classic obviously i'm not saying i just like the godfather but like that is very i do think it holds these people up to like a to make it look more glamorous or better and it's about family and blah blah blah. whereas in goodfellas they they're not they're just um co-workers in a way to the point like at the end they're all like turning on each other yeah you know which Mm -hmm. i think is more accurate to how sure it actually works in criminal organizations yeah yeah. it's kind of it's kind of demystifying that whole familial yeah part yeah and like honor among thieves for, and that kind of for like sure. mentality like really your family is your family mm-hmm. this is this is an and organization like, you got to sell them out before they sell you out is yep. really the yeah, yeah, yeah lasting message of this but and but i think it also goes to show like the romance of like the godfather and primarily dealing with just protection and, mm-hmm. and gambling and stuff like and then introducing drugs yeah into you know modern uh, organized crime there really was a shift mm-hmm. there was more concern dealing with the cops rather than just like tax fraud and like right. you know what i mean We're just stealing stuff well, he says it great so he like references it in a line in this movie where he even talks about like the cops you know they usually only grab or they, they, they didn't sorry they didn't understand that the organizations worked off of just protection like that's something they could oh. not comprehend mm-hmm by the law do you know what i mean it's like they never they understood protection to people who couldn't go to the cops for protection exactly so that's something they could never really quantify they could never really arrest you on you know what i mean yeah Unless it was something related to else but then when you bring drugs into mm-hmm. the the the, the pro, you know the equation clearly the equation thank you um clearly that's where you know the law is gonna butt some heads with you for sure mm-hmm. and get you on almost anything. especially i mean i think like he gets busted like in the 80s or whatever for the drug stuff which then when the 80s there was a huge crackdown on the drug trade do you oh, know what i mean yeah so absolutely. that's part absolutely. of it too but, um you know i agree with all that well i just thought you'd have more to say about this movie since you love it so much i do love i mean there, i feel like there is less to say when you're just like everything is great and i love it and i think that it's great why is it great? If you're trying to sell this to an eight-year-old, how, 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 well, I mean, I that's probably like, a bad Wait ten years and watch <laughs> this movie as I sell it to an eight-year-old. Um, What's your favorite element about this movie? My favorite element is I think that I like the. It feels natural, and I think that probably comes from the ad-libbing and the improvisation and everything. But it feels like. This is, I mean, and I don't know, obviously I may be Sicilian, but I don't know any mafia members as most Sicilians fucking don't. Sure. But, um, I'm sorry. Same time with Goodfellas. I just started smiling. Yeah. Fuck, 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 fuck. But, um. Fucking wise guy, yeah. It just seems, it seems very natural. It seems like that's the way these men would talk to each other, talk to, for better or worse, talk to their wives and girlfriends and like anything like that. It just feels to me like a more realistic approach to a mafia movie 
Because I don't think, as much as, like, Ray Liotta is the protagonist of this movie, I don't think he's a like... Like, Martin Scorsese, I don't think, makes movies about likable men. No, that seems true. Unless it's Last Temptation of Christ. But, uh, <laughs> which I didn't like. Way to save yourself. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really like, bad Jesus. I but, mean, I like Travis Bickle. Okay, no, yeah. But, but he's not a good No, person. he's not a good guy. He's not but a good he guy, but likeable. he's, he's redeemable. More likable like than... Yeah. Uh, like Jake LaMotta or Henry Hill or Amen. Yeah. anyone in The Departed. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I even like, no, Frank Costello, I like in The Departed. He's crazy, but like. Uh, Frank Costello is like if Joe Pesci's character in this lived longer. I know, but he's got so, <laughs> he's got so many layers to him. He though. does. Do you know what I mean? He's so well crafted. Well, and like, I think there's a difference between have being an interesting character and being a likable character. Yeah, that's true. Well, honestly, who's not likable is the lead in that movie, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. I do not find him a very likable character at all. He got so British for a minute. <laughs> at all. <laughs> I don't. I find really? yeah. I oh. like his character in that. I feel like he's so ugh. He's just like I would not want to be friends with this guy. Well, you know no, I mean? he's intense as hell. Like, yeah. I wouldn't want to hang out with him, no. Sure. Like, uh, I'm rooting for him no, above anyone I mean, else. I think Frank is what made him. But anyway, we're talking about Goodfellas. Well, yeah. No, but that's what I'm saying, too. Like, it, that kind of leads into it. Like, I don't think that Henry Hill, as a character in this movie, is a likable person. Mm-hmm. Especially towards the end. I think maybe he starts out a little bit likable, but then he obviously crosses a lot of lines. But I still think... See, I can like watch things, and I even if you're not a likable character, if you're interesting, if it's a compelling story, mm-hmm. and it is a complex character, then that's going to be entertaining to me. So I don't, um, I do, I don't th- like Scorsese said. That's why I pulled that one quote where he's like, you know, I think that the audiences should be angry with him, and I think they should be angry at this system for allowing these men to be there. Like, I don't think he made this movie to be like, look how cool gangsters are. I think he made this movie to be like look at these assholes and like this is how they are mm, you know what i mean no i feel the whole narrative shift in this movie is like how cool it was how it used to be sure and then there's a shift of like when you really get down into the underbelly of the beast like shit gets real and people do fucked up things and they hurt each other or they never really cared about each other in the in the, in the first place yeah um i do very much the first 30 minutes of this movie is glorifying the old system well but i think that's because it's from henry hill's perspective like he starts out as a kid yeah. and he's talking about how he wanted to be a gangster his whole life but i mean like, that's our perspective too like well, we're, no, we're being led for that point. to be our perspective but i don't think it's supposed yeah. to be i think the point is like he's like this is so glamorous and so cool but then he once he got into it he realized that it wasn't all the things he thought it was from yeah the no exactly that's what i'm saying that's the but narrative. i don't think no but i'm my argument to you is that i don't think it's that back then it used to be cool and now it's not i think that it was always not cool but he didn't realize it until he was an adult within the system oh sure sure i think there was always probably people who got too paranoid and got angry and when you live your life thinking like rules don't apply to me i can just take whatever i want you're gonna but, end up see, killing people for no fucking yeah, reason. yeah 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 no i get it that's the real life sentiment to it however i want to say that like when henry hill is growing up in this world it's very much the corleone family like we get that vibe from it because which which is yeah you know that's a go-to at this point for mafia movies, right? Like that's the sure. movie or movies. So very much that's what it, that's what it feels like at first. It's like the it's like the olive olive oil business. It's the it's the taxi cab. Like that's the you know what I mean. We're getting the building mm-hmm. of this family. We get Paul Servino who plays Paulie in this movie. Oh, he's so good. Who is my favorite character in this movie by far? Mm-hmm. Um, the most like mystical and the most I don't know, just like 
lovable character in my opinion um but yeah like we don't we don't really get a lot of information about him he's very much like in the dark and, mm-hmm. and it's just it's very much like you know the dawn of a family how we approach it, even in the godfather uh so there is kind of this ro- there's this romanticism i'll use that word mm-hmm. not that it's a good place to be but there's this romantic feeling that we can bond to mm-hmm. because anyone who goes to see goodfellas has probably definitely seen the godfather yeah but then what this does is like it's almost like opening up our eyes to to what it is truly like to be involved in a criminal organization such as this mm-hmm. it's not as you know glorified as it is in the godfather right that was my point <laughs> well but it's there for a reason as well i only yeah. said it's the narrative structure i think in the, in the beginning that's what it's meant to do is to bring you back into this world mm-hmm. um, but i think i think the only point that we're disagreeing about is that it's saying that it was truly ever like that whereas i think it's saying that was just the perception of it but that's not what it was like i don't know that's hard to say though because i don't know i feel like crime has certainly involved like sure people probably always got whacked yeah right but when you go from like doing things like just offering protection to doing things like selling drugs to kids they on were the street. They were stealing things and selling them as well and that's fencing fine. stolen goods whatever you're not hurting mom and pop places you know <laughs> I mean, I'm, a, I'm all in favor. Helping sure. out the community. You're selling da- drugs isn't hurting your mama father, pop shops either. Your father has a story about how he got his first suit that is very similar. And I'm like, yeah. no one was hurt in that transaction. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> well, no, I guess not. But I would like, say, it's like, I, I'm not supporting, I'm not condoning crime, I guess, really, in any way. But I'm just saying, I feel like there is a stark difference. And what that's what this shows is the evolution of like, how do people could never just be fine with the money they're making right yeah no that's you always got to reach more and that makes you dive into darker and darker places and that's what i think this movie does really well mm-hmm. but i think it also makes the very distinct point too that like um i think that's the story of henry hill like he got in over his head and yeah drugs he, and blah, he was blah, blah. drawn in from the but the characters of like jimmy conway and uh tommy devito those guys that he says up front, Jimmy Conway liked hurting people. Yeah. He liked stealing and he's he liked, a bad person. Yeah. And Tommy DeVito is crazy. Like he mm-hmm. kills people for no reason twice in this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, and they're both like, they're all in, in many ways, the misfits of this family. Cause like Jimmy's not Italian by any means. Right. No, he's Irish. Uh, Tommy, no one wants to be around. And yeah. then Hill in the same way is just, he's the, he's the Irish kid that came up through the mm-hmm. Irish, well, Irish Sicilian, but yeah, that came up through They're very much the misfits of this organization. They really are. So yeah. that's why they're off doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. They're not doing the same stuff that Paulie's doing. Or, no, or the they're just like paying members him of the family. tributes for exactly. protection and everything. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, at the same time, you know, they're, they're just, they got, they're figuring out their own way to do things. And it's very much outside of what the Don would approve of. Yeah, which is eventually all of their downfalls. Exactly. For sure. And poor Polly gets mixed in with it. I'm sorry. Poor Polly. He's still a criminal I feel as bad. well. I know, but I like him so much. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I mean, it's like Frank Costello. I just think he's the most interesting character in this movie. Mm-hmm. In fact, like, I don't, never mind. I don't want to, I don't want to hate, but like, I think the, the weakest part of this movie. What? Is, uh. I can't think of his name. Name some actors in this movie. <laughs> Ray Liotta. Bam. That's it. You forgot the lead actor. I know. I, I was just, you know. This isn't a professional podcast. Pretty eyes. Uh, <laughs> I really think he's like, he's the most like uninteresting part of this movie for me. Like not his story, but mm-hmm. just like his performance is so dominated by Joe Pesci. 
or any scene he shares with Robert De Niro. Well, yeah. Or any scene he shares with Paul Servino. Or any scene he shares with, what's her name? Lorraine Bracco. Lorraine Bracco. Like, he generally is the weakest character in every uh, titular scene in this movie. And it's just like, the weakest actor, I guess. The weakest link. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that kind of sucks. Like, for me, you know, like uh, while yeah. watching it. But I think, too, like, when you look at supporting actors, which all those other people are. Yeah. They do get to be bigger and then maybe steal. Like, with Joe Pesci's going to steal every scene because that character is insane. And he's going to. Sure. And he's funny. And no, he's, no, no, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Robert De Niro is Robert De Niro. So, I mean, he's stealing every no, scene. No, and, and I agree. I just, you know, I don't know if Ray Liotta is honestly a very good actor. I think he's got a good look. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Okay. Me too. <laughs> I mean, I can't I can't deny that. I don't think he's honestly that talented as an actor. I think he probably plays the same like he does the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just you know, I just I don't know if it really pays off in this movie to see him go and maybe he or looks so like Joe Pesci. What? Joe Pesci is the same character in everything he does. And that's fine, but Joe Pesci's good is the difference. <laughs> okay. Um, he's a character no, but actor it, it is just the honestly does you know, you're surrounded by so many more when you're carrying a movie like that would be a problem with any movie I watched. Okay. I know that I know supporting actors sometimes get to be bigger. Well, then or whatever, I better hear the same argument when we're talking about Dances with Wolves. That's what I got to say. <laughs> you want to talk about a bad, uninteresting actor? <laughs> okay. Anywho. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I mean, I just, I just wanted to get this out of the way because, I, I mean, I feel this is certainly going to be your choice for the top movie of this year. I feel like it's many people's already choice for the top movie this year. And, and honestly, it deserves to be so. Um, but I, I do have to, I have a couple problems, other problems with the script. You know, I don't think it holds up well really? uh, in some aspect. Yeah. We talked about the Sammy Davis Jr. stuff last night. Well, the audience didn't, so you should tell them what doesn't hold well, up. Well, they, they just out of nowhere for a scene that is completely unnecessary. Talk about Sam, like the hatred of, you know, liking a, a black man. Of a white woman dating a black man. Of a white woman issue. dating a black man. And like. He could just say like all all you have to say is he's talented. You don't have to say like you understand why white woman why white or why a white woman would fall for him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it just feels so unnecessary and so just like out of left field. I don't I don't understand. I, I you could probably spend twenty minutes trying to explain his context in the movie to me, and I'm not going to agree with it. Well, I do think though that the person who's saying it is Joe Pesci, and he's not supposed to be a likable person i think it's really just supposed to be like another way to make him unlikable i think there's enough to make him unlikable i mean sure without that scene he didn't have to shoot michael Prioli in the foot too like why <laughs> sure. is that necessary we already didn't like him before that like, no but <laughs> i think that does explain a lot actually i think that does go towards his character a lot whereas this yeah. this scene honestly if this movie's already two and a half hours you can <laughs> cut out this 45 second scene and be fine with there's just like little things like that i think um my biggest problem too with this movie is probably that it's just you know, it is just a very mean-spirited movie. I mean, not mean-spirited. That's not the right way I want to say because the movie isn't overall mean-spirited. But these are just, like, bad people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's hard for me to get totally involved with. Sure. Um, but going back to Scorsese, he is honestly one of the greatest directors. I think his his for the performances he gets from his actors in this movie are incredible as far as his job as a director. I think he knows exactly where to put the camera. I think the movement in this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. We already talked about the editing a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of his best works by far, for sure. That I, got, I cannot deny. Mm-hmm, you got We didn't even mention the iconic scene, too, where they're walking into the club through the kitchen. Oh, yeah, the Steadicam shot. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's it's perfect. Um, I was even noticing, because, like, obviously I knew they didn't do it in one take. No. 
regardless of how what the number is. I think it's seven. That is probably Leota's best scene in the movie. His little mannerisms, like things he does with his eyes, little smiles he gives to these characters as we're walking through, characters we'll never see again, mm-hmm. is so perfect. Mm-hmm. He, I believe every second that he is a regular member of this club, that people genu- genuinely adore him here. Mm-hmm. And it's little tells in his face that I think make that scene. I think it's it's one of the best shots. It's certainly one of the most iconic shots yeah. in film history. As far as and people keep trying to you know do it, I think sure. that's one of those shots that I think certainly has existed throughout history of yeah. cinema. Um, I think this is one that a lot of people mention a lot, and it's one that continually uh, attempts to be replicated. Yeah, in movies today. Absolutely, I agree with that. And there's um iconic lines in this movie as well. Obviously. Oh yeah. How am I funny? Yeah. Oh am I my clown God. to you. Do I amuse you? Well, you're doing all the same. I know. That's the one line. <laughs> it sounds like it's more lines. Though. It no, sounds no. like you're saying multiple lines. Um, oh, sure. I mean, Get your shine backs. this was on the top 10, right? For the box office? No. Oh, oh really? Nope. So this was definitely a film that succeeded more in home video. Yeah. Okay. And that makes sense. I think everybody and their mother saw this movie. Yeah. I can't think of a soul that in my like family that hasn't seen it for no. sure. And we're just basic white people. You guys are Metagani as fuck. And yet you guys yeah. um, love the good fellas. My god, yeah. my godfather, who is not Italian, he is Swedish as they come. But he like quotes this movie all the time. Sure. He wishes he were Italian, obviously. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like watch this movie. I was just like, I guess I just didn't realize how much he quotes this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who doesn't? I think it's one of those films that. I mean, exactly. Going back and this, you know, this being a film that didn't win Best Picture. It's like. If we, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to re right is right is reevaluating. Yeah. And clearly, if we had to put the stamp of importance in cinema history, I think this, this movie is the front runner. Certainly, gone on to inspire more movies than Dances with Wolves ever did. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. And The Sopranos. Sure. I mean, which is its own cultural touchstone. Yeah. All right. Have we said everything we need to say about Goodfellas? Yeah. Okay. Let's see what other people think about it. Rotten Tomato audience score of 97%. <laughs> Fair. And a critic score of 95%. Um, as far as lists go, on the original list of the best movies by the American Film Institute, it was ranked at number 94. And 10 years later on the anniversary list, it got bumped up to number 92. On their 10 top 10, it got number two best gangster film right behind The Godfather. Um, on Sight and Sound's list of the top 250, it's ranked at number 171. In 2012, the Motion Picture Editors Guild listed Goodfellas as the 15th best edited film of all time, based on a survey of its membership. And in 2000, the United States Library of Congress deemed the film culturally significant and selected it for preservation in the National Film Registry. Deservedly so. Yes. The box office, though, it only made $46.8 million, which is less than Awakenings. I'm wow. Sure. Let me see. Yeah, he has got 52. That is crazy. Yeah. What's the deal? Maybe it's just too violent. So it's rated R. You're going to get less people to see it because of that. Yeah, but I don't know. Still. I don't know. It's just kind of, it's really kind of shocking. It might have been marketed terribly too. Yeah. Again, like we didn't in, watch in the all, trailer. In all <laughs> honesty, yeah. We should watch the trailers for these movies. That would be a good idea. Yeah. Season two, people. Trailers. <laughs> 
We'll just watch the trailers. We'll have a short <laughs> session. It'll be this podcast will be even longer. Because <laughs> we'll be like, so what do you think happens in that movie? Yeah, we'll do a pre and a post show. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the winner. Dances with Wolves. Ugh. By Kevin Costner. <laughs> Synopsis: Lieutenant John Dunbar, assigned to a remote Western Civil War outpost, outpost befriends wolves and Indians making him an intolerable aberration to the military. Mm-hmm. That's a little... That's an honestly horrible synopsis. That really is. So, I need to be... You dropped the ball on this one. Yeah. But that's okay. But it is about a guy who gets to choose his post. He's a war hero. And he decides to go out to... Uh, he really wants to be on the frontier. He really wants to experience the frontier. The new, you know, America as it's evolving. Mm-hmm. Um... And he, yeah, he's on the station alone. And then, yes, he does come across uh, Native American tribes. Um, he does sort of befriend a wolf. Like, let's not say, like, they became fucking pals. No, but that wolf still kept a pretty big distance yeah, from him. Yeah, like, it was a wolf. <laughs> the other day. He was still a wild animal. <laughs> it reminds me of a joke. And, sorry, I was just, you know, Norm MacDonald joke. He goes, you know, you know what's scarier than werewolves? Real wolves. <laughs> They're wolves all the time. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought I put that in there. That is fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and then it really is about him, you know, kind of uh, becoming accustomed to this tribe. But uh, yeah, and the military does end up hating him. But that's like the last 20 minutes yeah, of this like four hour movie. Putting in the synopsis, it makes it sound like it's a bigger part of the movie than it yeah. is. I mean, clearly, like we know this isn't going to go well, but it's not really addressed for a long time. No. It's based on the 1988 book of the same name by Michael Blake. Blake originally wrote the story as a spec script, but it never sold. Costner starred in Blake's previous film, Stacey's Nights, and encouraged Blake to turn the story into a novel to improve the chance of selling it as a script. The novel was rejected many times, but finally sold in 1988. Costner then bought the rights with the intent to direct it. Okay. It's kind of a roundabout way that it became a script. Yeah, for sure. Script. Um, there was a real John Dunbar who worked as a missionary for the Pawnee in the 1830s and 40s incited with the native americans in a dispute with government farmers and a local native american agent it is unclear whether the name john dunbar was chosen as a corollary to the real historical figure um and the white so they don't know if they just like chose the name or because it's not really it's not really historically accurate no it's this has nothing to do with what the real john dunbar did um and there was a white captive woman who mar- the white kept woman who marries Dunbar in the film was based on upon the story of Cynthia Ann Parker, who was a white girl who was captured by the Comanches, and she was the mother of Quana Parker. So she married into the tribe after she'd been kidnapped. Okay. So the logist in the film, the logistics of the buffalo hunt comprised of a helicopter, ten pickup trucks, twenty-four bareback native american riders 150 extras 20 wranglers 25 recreated buffalo and seven cameras it took eight days to film this is very similar to your cimarron facts yeah to prevent any possible animal cruelty kevin costner's um tig productions spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars on animatronic buffalo cool which honestly like that was money well spent because i honestly thought those were yeah like holy shit no for sure because I was like... Steven I was like, Spielberg was probably watching this and be like, okay, I can make that dinosaur movie now. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Because I was watching, I'm like, there's no way they got real buffalo to do... Like, when they're, like, tripping them and hitting them. I was like, there's no way. But, like, yeah. it looks really real. It looks so authentic. It's scary how authentic it looks. Mm-hmm. It's, like, saddening how authentic it... Because you really do think, did they just, like, kill a buffalo for this? I don't think they just, like, kill a bunch of buffalo. They're, like, endangered. I don't know. Yeah. It's a bad idea, guys. Yeah. 
Uh, because of the film's popularity and lasting impact on the image of Native Americans, the Sioux Nation adopted Costner as an honorary member of their tribe. Wow. Um, so kind of on the other spectrum of ways to view this film, David Serrata of Salon referred to Dances with Wolves as a white savior film, as Dunbar, quote, fully embeds himself in the Sioux tribe and quickly becomes its primary protector, end quote. He argued that its use of the, quote, noble savage character type quote, preemptively blunts criticism of the underlying white savior story. The idea is that a film like Dances with Wolves cannot be bigoted or overly white-centric if it at least shows characters such as Kicking Bird or Chief Ten Pairs as special and exceptional. This, even though the whole story is about a white guy who saves the day, end quote. Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, I mean, that's accurate as well. I do yeah. think, obviously, it's a movie that shows Native Americans in a much better light than any other western to that date ever had Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day it's still the story of a white man so yeah um so dances with wolves is one of my least favorite films of all time don't like it oh i thought you say but (laughs) um i will say it's it had been a long time since seen it because like why would you rewatch a movie that you hated yeah but um, so that's so rewatching it, like it was, I think maybe I built up how much I hated it a little bit in my head because I didn't hate it as much. I still, it's three freaking hours long, which is like an hour and a half longer than any movie should be. And <laughs> it's just, uh, I do think it is kind of like, I, it's very eye roll inducing to me the fact that like it is supposed to be this movie you know it's like treating native americans so well and blah blah but then like the central love story is just like two white people who happen to be there like that movie could have been just like exactly the same if he'd fallen in love with an actual native american woman yes like there's no reason that they had to be this like random white girl that they had yes kidnapped and whatever it's like that whole and the fact that she her hair is so clearly like done in a way that would not be possible on the frontier it bothers me a lot. Sure. I also don't think she's a very good actress. I don't think Kevin Costner is a good actor. And they're the leads. I will say I think that there is, as far as directing, I think he's like competently directed it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I do. You are bringing far too much bias into this movie. Maybe. You are. Maybe. I do think no. that there are some shots that are very pretty, but again... You go out onto a freaking plane at sunset, it's going to look pretty. That's not fair. I think that the buffalo hunt scene is very impressive. I think it was well done. Um, I don't need to see a buffalo hunt scene. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I want to see. I thought you were going to get past <laughs> one thing with a compliment. No, it's fine. I think that... Uh, I just think a lot of the problem for me is that Kevin Costner is such an uninteresting actor i think his he narrates this movie too is like the voiceover whatever and his reading of those narration it is to me like those car commercials with aaron paul that is what Ah. his voice sounds like Ah. while he's narrating those mazda commercials with aaron paul are ridiculous that's what kevin costner sounds like Mm. though driving down the road heading towards the sunset (laughs) in my mazda Zoom, zoom. <laughs> That's exactly what Kevin Costner is. Like, he has no emotion 
forever in his voice. Ugh. That's how I feel about Chances of Wolves. Cool. They also, they kill the wolf. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. I don't like that. Yeah. I wish the wolf had killed them. Yeah. But them mean everyone. I wish the movie had just been about a wolf. <laughs> just, like, just eating people. A man-eating wolf. Just like living. Um, I will definitely agree with you about the white girl thing. Like, it's ridiculous that he... he he starts becoming a part of this tribe and he's only attracted to this white girl. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing I will give it the sense of is that clearly he has to spend a lot of time with her because she does speak some English Mm -hmm. and she becomes the translator. So they are spending a lot of time together and we'll understand that. However, it they just could have seems... easily been like, oh, this girl was kidnapped by white people for a while and then we got her back, but she yeah, speaks English. Yeah, I mean, English, they should have adjusted gonna... it for sure. Um, overall, though, I really do love the story. Uh, I think it is very, very interesting. Um, and I think, I do, I I really, she, she's giving me the ugliest face right now. <laughs> I really do like it. I like the idea that he wants to be on the frontier. I like that he does become associated with this tribe. I think it really is... You know, I agree with that guy from Salon.com, but in in other ways, I do see the other side of it where I think it's important that this movie finally did depict Native Americans in a very positive light. Yeah. And I think that is very important. I thought Kevin Costner was actually pretty good in this movie. I feel like you... because the bar for Kevin Costner is so low. You are bringing in so much hate outside I don't think of Kevin Costner is a good actor like he's that's a just, fine actor yeah he's a con- like he can be in a movie no he's 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 I mean, generically good looking and can read I th- but like you know I know I'm not saying I don't think he's a great actor I do not by any means but I think he is good in this movie I do I do I find it like he's as good as he is like in Robin Hood or you know something like that a fucking you're right baseball, he's not good in anything a baseball movie you're right he's the same in a lot of movies I do I do agree with you for that but when it's like a period piece or something like Waterworld, which is obviously like the future, like we- yeah. weirdness, I do think he is like a really interesting character in that stuff. Um, and I don't know why. I th- th- that maybe that doesn't make sense to me, but like, or maybe that doesn't make sense. But I do think he's fine in this movie. I never, I guess I should never say I doubted his performance. Um, I think it is so impressive that he directed and starred in this movie, this epic in many ways. I think he did a very good job at that. I really do. Uh, maybe you would have got a better performance out of him if it, if he wasn't directing. Yeah, that could be true. I mean, I don't think. But he like for handling the duties on this movie, this this movie does really feel like an epic. I know it's long, it's and too long. and actually, I didn't really notice the length too much. I know that probably sounds crazy. I think there was enough stuff to keep my attention, and even like the scenes that wander a little bit were like interesting to me. Um, I, and I don't know. I, I think it was actually like a pretty well edited movie, as crazy as that sounds, I guess, to you. But uh, I have some suggestions where they can make some other cuts. Sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I do understand why it won at the time. And it was probably more of a political move. And it's obviously it's Oscar bait 100 percent. Yeah. It It really falls into that category for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all I say. I did. I, in no way did I hate this movie. In fact, I was also in your boat. I remember not liking it very much at all, but Mm -hmm. I think we had both seen it the last time in like the early two thousands. Yeah. 
and uh, I was I was glad for the rewatch. I'll just say that. I feel like you have more. No, I mean I don't really have more. I hate it. Um, I like I said I I didn't. I remembered hating it more than I actually do. I know it sounds like I hate it a lot right now, but like I was even more vehemently against it before I rewatched it. But and so yeah, I guess like I it was good that I rewatched it, but like I cannot. There'd be no reason for me to ever watch it again after this. I cannot foresee any circumstances where I would watch this movie again. Sure. Whereas Goodfellas, I could watch every year. That's fair. No, so that's you fair. know what I mean. Um, I just don't. I do think like, and I think that's what rubs me the wrong way too. Is that it is so Oscar bait. Like it just seems unimaginative to me that they were like, "Oh yeah, we'll just give it to this because it makes us feel good." Yeah. Which I mean, I guess I get that Goodfellas isn't gonna make you feel good, um, but it's it, but it is good, and this isn't. So <laughs> that's the end of my argument, <laughs> really. But yeah, and we'll get to it when we cover you know what we think should have won Best Picture. But what are the facts you got about this one? I already read you the facts. Oh, you did? You read everything? Yep. Was it? And is it in the film registry? Like what's? Oh, you want me to read those facts? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like the thing you know when we end talking about a I movie. I know we were ending those ones. Yeah, I mean, what is there left to say? You hated it. Mm-hmm. Most people have seen it. Most people hate it. Mo- do they? Well, I don't know. I was Most looking at a list in Time Magazine of like the most controversial Oscar upset or whatever, like wins or whatever, and this was on the list of like this. Okay, beating so a lot of people saw it, but a lot of people made their own conclusion that it was bad. I think it's probably one of those things where, like, in hindsight, because I mean, if you look at the numbers, like, clearly, not a lot of people saw Goodfellas in this year. <laughs> like, it doesn't sound like a lot of people had seen it prior to this award ceremony. Yeah, yeah compared to dances with love so uh, maybe it's just like you know the whole point of this podcast is giving at least 10 years to re-examine the impact that it has yeah so i don't think dances with wolves has that much of an impact i think that if anything it signaled a change in how we dealt with native americans in cinema but i think that would have happened regardless of this movie just because people stopped being so racist and overtly racist in movies in general they made an effort a better effort slightly they're still working on it so Rotten Tomato audience score of 87% critics 82% okay solid bees yeah um and that obviously continues to be updated it could have been different which is the critic score yeah. from the no, from true. 1990 you know what I mean yeah that's true that's true so on the original list of the American Film Institute's uh best movies of all time it ranked at number 75 it was not on the anniversary list <laughs> so you're so right it gave, it, it gave it 10 years and they were like eh. honestly that and no that's great i'm glad we're like seeing and discussing stuff like this yeah um on their list of 100 greatest cheers which i think is supposed to be like inspirational movies it's ranked at number 59 at the box office it made oh wait so it was selected for preservation in the united states national film Registry in 2007 i agree with that yeah sure that's fine at the box office, it made $424.2 million. It was in the top five for this year, best um, highest grossing films. And adjusted for inflation, it is the 142nd highest grossing film of all time. Wow. So, so it made some money, for cool. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They also, I don't know how much money they made when they re-released it, like, the next year or something, like the four-hour extended cut. They did a re-release? Yeah, they re-released wow. it at four hours. Okay. Yeah, I want to know how that did. I can't imagine like who's like oh I just saw this three hour movie but I'd like to watch a four hour version yeah please so that's dance as well so 
What do you think should have won Best Picture? Do you think Dance of the Wolves deserve Best Picture? No. Okay, so what do you think should have won Best Picture? Um, I mean, the obvious answer is Goodfellas. Yes. It's just it. It, it, it. In fact, you know, there's not really an argument there. It's objectively the Best Picture from 1990. Hmm. What? Well, I just, I remember in the first episode of this podcast when you argued that Raging Bull was not objectively the best picture of that year. It wasn't. Okay. I'm glad that in 10 we years, s- though, you like, you came we around to our Scorsese. To stop bringing that up. <laughs> I, what I said, I meant. Okay. Okay. I would say that if there was one movie I thought was, that I thought like I would recommend, it is Awakenings. So I think okay. we already mentioned that briefly. So if there's one movie I think like I would recommend, but like, is that coming from a place of like you've probably seen Goodfellas? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. But like, Awakenings, I think I enjoyed the most. I should that's that's what I should say. Not recommend Awakenings. I enjoyed the most out wow. of any of these top five movies or any of these five movies for sure. Best Picture. Um, and maybe that was coming from a surprise because I had never really even heard of it before. But I would just say, like, again, out of these five movies, Awakenings, I enjoyed more than any other. However, obviously, that being said, Goodfellas is should have won best picture for many reasons. I know I stated my problems with it, but I think that's important to talk about because I don't know if there's ever been a perfect movie. No, uh, but uh, yeah, it succeeds in so many places um, under the direction and care of Martin Scorsese. Devin Who also deserved to win best director. I just want to point that out as well, that Kevin Costner also won for best director. Yeah. Beating out Martin Scorsese. Friends yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And you know, I would even been happier. Yeah. If, I mean, I would. I think it would be fair in the year of 1990, not in retrospect, but in the year of 1990, if that would have won, I'd be like, okay, Dance with Wolves won Best Picture, but Martin Scorsese should have won Best Director, mm-hmm. 100%. Yes. Did it win Best Editing at least? No, she was nominated, but she didn't win. Okay, who? What won? Um, best Editing, I think, went to. I want to say, yeah, it went to Dances with Wolves. Okay. I mean, I get it. again. I do think it was a well edited movie, but Dance of Wolves kind of like Goodfellas is like a, a flashy edited movie, whereas like Dance of Wolves probably won best editing because it was like such a subtle, um, you know. I think it won because a lot of people that are voting for this stuff just vote for what they're already voting for best picture. Like I think that <laughs> I guess that's probably fair. I mean, I don't know, but that's probably fair. Because I think I honestly think almost. I mean, like I said, uh, Goodfellas was ranked by other editors as the, one of the best edited films of all time. Yeah, Raging Bull is con- like was voted in that same thing as the best edited film of all time. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Gumaker is a very good editor, and she's got more Oscars than Martin Scorsese, really though. So I guess it's wow, that's all awesome. <laughs> but that's uh, kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, like the reason I formatted the season this way is so that we were beginning talking about Martin Scorsese getting robbed and ending with Martin Scorsese and robbed. So obviously, my feelings about it are pretty that clear. Was really, I like that bookend. Mm-hmm. I think that. I obviously think Goodfellas should have won. I think that Martin Scorsese should have won for Best Director. That's all I have to say. I think, and I think that time has proven that Goodfellas is the has held up better in esteem than Dances with Wolves has. Sure, I I mean that's again not that's a non argument. And perhaps this podcast will raise the status of Awakenings to being a film that hopefully hopefully our tens of listeners will fight to. <sighs> Tens of <laughs> will make that movie better known. I you know I hope so. I uh, it, honest, honestly, there's there's several movies, and I've mentioned them. I think each time throughout this season, 
that like I would just highly recommend. You know, if you are listening to this, give a watch. You know, I'm, I'm, we're not asking you to watch all hundred movies or whatever Phil no, feels like from this season. For you. <laughs> but uh, you know, when we're, when I when we try to recommend stuff, I, we really mean it. Obviously, I'm assuming you guys have all seen Goodfellas. If you haven't, you should certainly watch that. Sure. You don't need to watch Dances with Wolves if you no, haven't seen No, and that. you can skip Ghosts, honestly. It's it's all right. You know, YouTube the scene if you really want to see the one pottery scene or whatever. But YouTube every scene that Whoopi Goldberg's in because she's fantastic. Oh, my, she is. She is really funny. But she's also, not in but also you, it, will live a, you will live a happy, normal life not having seen it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much it. That is the end of our first season for your reconsideration. Wow. Thank you guys for listening. Um, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. We are going to have some fun bonus episodes coming out here and there so you want to make sure you see those um and we'll be working on season two. Oh boy <laughs> did i at least get a little bit of a break no we gotta jump right into it oh, no. so many movies to watch so little time as per usual we came in listening to the winner for best song which was sooner or later from dick tracy performed by my love madonna I thought your love was Patrick Swayze, or apparently Martin Scorsese, or Ray Liotta. Yeah, but like my first love I feel is like Madonna. feel like you had a lot of loves. Okay. And uh, as much as I would never, like obviously Madonna singing anything deserves to win an Oscar. Oh my God. <laughs> that's not true. No. But. At all. I'm not going to argue that that song shouldn't have won best song, but we are going to go out on probably the most iconic song in film from this year, Unchained Melody. Yay! So... Catch us around, I guess. Thanks. Catch us around. Well, you know, it's the end of the season, I don't know what to say. Bye. Bye. Grateful 